Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website, overflowdfw.com. Y'all ready to battle today? All right. Hey, we're going to be talking this morning about the battle of self. Oh, come on. How many of y'all know that yourself will get you get yourself in trouble? You know, a lot of times we, we want to blame others when we get ourselves in trouble. And uh, most of the trouble we get in, most of the issues that we struggle with, we bring it on ourselves. So we're going to talk about the battle of self today. And, um, you know, there's, there's kind of an unholy trinity that's at war against you. And the unholy trinity is the devil. We know that. The devil is assignment. He hates you. He hates you. He hates you. He hates you. We'll be talking a little bit about him and his strategies as we continue in this series. Uh, the world. And when we say the world, we're not necessarily talking about the people of the world, but the system that's in the world that many people subscribe to. Come on. But that is your enemy. Uh, the, the people of the world are our mission, but the system of the world is an enemy against you and what God has for you. And then you also have the enemy of self. You have the enemy of self. How many know that sometimes that you are your own worst enemy? We say, well, I'm my own worst critic. Absolutely, you are. And sometimes, and especially in the natural, you are your own worst critic. Matthew chapter 16. Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer many terrible things. Everybody say terrible things. At the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would rise from the dead. And we talked a lot about this last week on on Easter. So Jesus is telling his disciples, listen, it's about to get bad. It's about to get ugly. I'm going to die. I'm going to come back. I'm going to rise from the dead, but I am going to die. But Peter, uh-oh. Now, you know there's scriptures that say, but God. Well, there's also a but Peter in scriptures, and usually it doesn't very end very well in the Gospels especially. So it says, but Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him. <laughs> now, this isn't like his brother. You know, this is Jesus. He's, this is God. He's telling him, hey, whoa, Jesus, what are you thinking? Like, th- this is not kosher. This is not okay. But Peter took him aside and reprimanded him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord. <laughs> this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. He forgot to act like Jesus. Get behind me, Satan. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will find it. Now, why did Jesus... Rebuke Peter. Well, first of all, because Peter was being stupid. You don't rebuke Jesus, Peter. <laughs> you know, what are you thinking? But let me tell you, G- Jesus also had a nature that he had to die to. Are you with me? Do you remember when Jesus was on, was praying before he was to face his passion? And he said, my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. He was saying that I'm going to have to lay my flesh down. So Peter is saying those things are never going to happen. What was he doing? He was nurturing Jesus's humanity, right? So Jesus was quick to rebuke him and say, listen, not only will I die, you're going to have to die. If any man wants to save his life, he's got to lose it. 
So Jesus calls us that if we're going to follow him, then we've got to take up our cross. We love the message of the abundant, overflowing life. And God has promised that. John 10, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. But in order to receive that life, we must experience a death. A death to self. See, coming to Jesus cost him his life. Following Jesus cost us our life. So you can't follow Jesus your way. You got to follow Jesus his way. So coming to Jesus cost him his life, but following him cost our lives. So we have this battle of our lives. We have this battle of our rights and our privileges and the, the things that we're, we have as human beings. And Jesus is saying, let it all die. Let it all die. So the battle of self. Romans chapter 5. We're going to read a lot of scripture today. Y'all okay with that? But I'll preach it when I read it. All right? Romans chapter 5. We're going to start in in chapter 5 and end up in in chapter 6 here. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace that this gift of righteousness for all who receive it will triumph over. Everybody say over. Will triumph over sin and death. Now, the NIV version says this, that you will reign in life. We know that you are called to reign in life over the enemies of life, which are sin and death, through this one man, Jesus Christ. So you're going to reign in life. You're going to own life, not because you got a great education or because you're raised in a great family or all those wonderful things, not because of those things, but because of Jesus, through Jesus. Verse 18, yes, Adam's sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because another person obeyed God, many became righteous. God's law was given so that people could see how sinful they were. He says it this way in another, uh, another passage. He said the law was a schoolmaster that leads us to Christ. The whole purpose of the old covenant is to establish a system so that we look at it and go, I need Jesus. That's the purpose of the law. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. Another translation says, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Have you heard that before? And so that's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, it was bad. People were sinning, but grace is present. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules. Say this. Say, grace rules. Look at your neighbor and say, grace rules. Grace rules. Instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Christ Jesus. Chapter 6. How many know that when the scriptures weren't written, it wasn't written in chapters and verses? So we'll just continue reading here. Well then, should we keep on sinning so God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Oh. Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we were joined with him in his death, for we died. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, you died. 
and we're buried with Christ by baptism. So when we baptize people today, or when you were baptized, what happens is baptism isn't just symbolic. Chris Valadin says that this baptism, he says it this way, baptism is not simply symbolic, it's prophetic. So whenever we baptize, what we're saying is we're going in to death and rising up in new life in Christ. So that's why it's important for you to get baptized. You're obey, obeying Jesus. Some of you don't have victory in your life because just because you haven't got baptized yet. So what's going to happen is prophetically, you're going to, you're going to dunk that old guy under. You're going to come up in new life. Are you okay? So some of you might say, well, I didn't sign up. Can I get baptized? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. So physical obedience can bring spiritual release. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, we may also may live new lives. Say new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, take up your cross, follow me, right? We will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. Let me say that again, because I think some of you missed it. Some of you got it. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. How many know that Jesus wasn't on the cross alone? Your sin, your sinful self, not just the things that you did, you were crucified with Christ so that, why was I crucified with Christ? So that sin might lose its power in your life. Man, that's good news. See, we're no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. You were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we may also live with him. The battle of self. The battle of self is really the death of self. How does that happen? I'm glad you asked. Number one, out with the old. Declare that. Out with the old. Out with the old. How do I, how do I overcome myself? You lose yourself. See, we're not going through life trying to find ourselves. Some of you have been saying that. Oh, I'm just trying to find myself. You don't need to find yourself. You need to lose yourself. You need to find Jesus. Well, I just don't have any purpose. I'm confused. I'm frustrated. You need to lose yourself. Quit trying to figure out everything on your own. Lose yourself. Die to yourself. We've talked about that unholy trinity, man. It's, it's, it's the devil. Come on. It's the world. And it's yourself. So you got to die to yourself. See, we won't experience the new unless we die to the old. So some of you, you've come to Jesus and you're like, I did not. This is not what I signed up for. Because you're carrying around two lives. And we go, oh, it's just my flesh. It's just my sinful nature. Crucify it. Crucify it and don't resurrect it. Because that's what happens. We resurrect those old desires. We're like, oh, man, that, that sounds good. So we run back to it. Guess what you just did? You resurrected the old man. You were supposed to leave him in the grave. What part of dead do you not understand? You're not in, you don't have get to do those things anymore because that guy's dead. If you want the new, you got to die to the old. See, the world and the devil are trying to develop self-edification and self-preservation. Right? Oh, what can you do to just make your life better? What can you do to just have a better, happier, richer life? But God is trying to convince you that there is more to life than you. You know, 
So you might want to take down the, you can do it. Maybe you need to put up a sign that says, remember when you died. <laughs> we, had a, we had a guy that came to our youth ministry years ago. He wrote a song uh, called, I uh, died the other day. <laughs> I died the other day. It was a, a great concept. Died the other day. I don't remember the song or I'd sing it for you. Or not, or not, probably not. This is what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And I would encourage you, go through the books of Paul and read how, how he uses this language so much. New life, new life. What, is it, what does new refer to old mean? That means that you don't have the old anymore. The old is gone. The new has come. So you, how many know that you're a new creation? That, this, that you don't have, listen, you don't have a sin nature anymore. It's been crucified. You still live in a body, and there's war on you and all this kind of stuff. You do have selfishness that you have to crucify, but, but you don't have a sinful nature anymore. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. God, God's righteousness doesn't have a sin nature. My old self has been crucified, has been crucified, right? When? The other day. <laughs> 93 for me. My old self was crucified. So stop trying to hold on to both. Stop resurrecting the carnal nature. You know, there's a scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and the scripture says this in, I believe, the King James language. It says, it says um, I die daily. And so what many have done is they've taken that and they've said, well, you've got to die to your flesh daily. Now, you do need to die to desires daily, but that is not what Paul is talking about. In fact, if you studied out, it says that I face death every day. He was talking about persecution, that people are trying to kill him all the time. He's like, I face death every day. He wasn't saying every day I got to wake up and I got to deny my carnal nature. No, because his carnal nature was already dead. He had already crucified himself. Now, does that, that mean you have to desire, die to desires? Absolutely. You don't want to resurrect what's dead. But stop carrying around two natures. You have one nature. One nature, beloved. If you belong to Jesus, you have one nature. You have one life. And it's not your life. It's my life. I'll do what I want. You sure will. But that won't be what God wants. In fact, he wants your life in a glorious way. Not because he's this mean, cosmic, demanding God. It's because he loves you and he wants all of it. He wants the whole thing. All your issues, all your struggles. He wants it all. And it's a beautiful exchange. Because out with the old and in with Christ. Everybody say in with Christ. So we go out of the old and in with Christ. You know, we talk a lot about Christ inside of us, right? Christ in us, the hope of glory. Just ask Jesus into your heart, right? We love that. Oh, Jesus is in you. You don't have to be afraid. Jesus is in you. But are you in Christ? See, there's a difference between having Christ in you and you being in Christ. Right? So it says in Colossians chapter 3, since then, since, that means it's already happened, since you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Not on the world, not on the devil, not on your, not on the sinfulness of the world. Come on. Not on all the stuff that would distract you. Set your heart and your mind in heaven. For you died. Already. When? When you came to Jesus. I always tell people when you do premarital counseling, you have two, two deaths before the death. The first is when you come to Jesus. You have to die, and the second one's when you get married. You have to die again. 
to self. And then one day you die, you know, that die. For you died already. Past tense died. You died. Well, I, you died. Well, what, what kind of rights do I have? You died. Dead people don't have rights. Oh, yeah, it's awesome because it all belongs to Jesus. Hold with me, hold with me. It's good, it's good news. Listen, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden in Christ. And can I tell you, it's a good hiding place. It's a good place to hide your life. When Christ, oh, here he goes. He's like hammering on it. I love it. When Christ, who is your life? When Christ, who is your life? We have this thing that we do with people. We meet people, so what do you do? Right? You know what our response should be? I'm not my own. I'm hidden in Christ. I mean, that's what I do is whatever Jesus has. And you don't want to be super spiritual and weird and, you know, all that. So it's okay to say what you do, like for a job or whatever. That's usually what people are asking. But our default, our thinking is, I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. Christ is my life. Well, so what do you do? Christ. I do Christ. I do Jesus. Yeah, but what do you do? Jesus. <laughs> Christ appears in you. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also, oh, then you also will appear with him in glory. Christ is your life. Oh, my family's, no, that's great. Christ is your life. Because Christ is your life, you're a really good dad. Because Christ is your life, you're really good at sacking groceries. Because Christ is your life. It didn't really matter what job you're doing, you do it really well. Because Christ is your life. And let me also say this, beloved. If it's not in Christ, it's not your concern. Because you're hidden there. You're, you're, you're going to be so heavenly minded that you're really earthly good. That's how good. If it's not in Christ, it's not your concern. Worry. Trouble, frustration, depression, sickness, you're in Christ. In Christ, there's no depression, sickness, sorrow. There's none of that in Christ. Oh, it's a good trade-off. And let me say it's his purpose, his desire, his will. See, we, we've, got, we've gotten this so Western mindset that we want to bring everything into our individualized society that says it's all about me, how convenient it can be, how to make my life easier, how comfortable I can be. We've, we've totally created a culture like that, right? That is very me-centered. Beloved, correct? Yes. And so we, we have all this stuff that it's, that it's all about you. And so we, when we pray, we pray, Lord, I want your plan for my life. And he's going, I want your life for my plan. That would be the prayer of our life. My life and God's plan. God, what do you want? That doesn't mean that you sit around at the house until God tells you. It means every way that you live, you live as Christ would live. Because you've been hidden. You've been hidden in his ways. And listen, nothing is yours to carry. When you belong to him, he carries it. Well, I just, I'm so burdened. I'm so overwhelmed. Yeah, me too. 
You know why I'm overwhelmed and I get burdened? You know why? Because I, I haven't surrendered that to Christ. Because I haven't died to it. And let me say this. We don't hide ourselves in Christ by, by concentrating on the bad. This is what we do. We have a struggle with sin or with worry, which is fear, which is sin. Just so you know. By thinking about those things more often. Right? So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to think about, I, I need to quit sinning. I need to quit sinning. I need to quit sinning. And you know what you end up doing? Sinning. Because we think that being more sin conscious or being more self-conscious will help us by focusing on ourself or focusing on our issues. That will help us. That will not help you. In fact, you will do those things more by thinking about yourself more. How you can please the flesh more. You'll think about that more, and you'll do that more by thinking about it more. Oh, I'm just trying to get over this thing. Man, I'm just really struggling. Every time prayer, I'm just really struggling. I need you to help me. help me. Quit thinking about it so much. This is what he says. You want to hide your life in Christ? Set your mind on things that are above. Set your heart on things that are above. Set your affections on Jesus. Oh, I just want a boyfriend so bad. If I could just have a husband, my life would just be, oh, probably not as good as you think, though, let me tell you. But if you set your affections on Christ, he'll line all that stuff up. If you will set your mind on Jesus, what are we going to do work today? Wake up. You know, I mean, that's me, man. I wake up, I'm like, bang! My brain is on 5,000 things every day I wake up. You know how to really be productive? Think about one thing all the time. Jesus, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. That's real productivity. So we need to be less sin conscious, less weakness conscious, and less self-conscious, and become more Christ conscious. Think about Jesus. How do I overcome sin? You think about Jesus more. But isn't there like a 12-step? Nope, just think about Jesus more. Think about him when you're at work. Think about him when you're in the car. Think about him when you're with your friends. Think about him when you You just think about Jesus more. Like we're obsessed? Yeah. Like our life is hidden in him. Like we love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength that we say so often. Say, well, no, man, I'm just a sinner. No. You have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You say, oh, I'm an addict. No, you're not. You're a son of God in Christ, a son of God, a daughter of God in Christ Jesus. You are not defined no longer. Even if you have struggles, you are not defined by your sin. It doesn't mean that you won't ever sin, but that is not who you are. Well, I'm an addict. No, you're not. You stop it. You are a child of God, and if you start seeing yourself that way, if you start seeing yourself that way, you will start living that way. Beloved, I'm telling you, God is for you. And he wants you to have power over self, and he wants you to have power, number three, over sin. So out with the old, in with Christ, and over sin. Let's continue reading in Romans. Romans 6.10. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. Beloved, you have power over sin. Well, I just can't not. We're all going to sin. We'll just give into it because you're a sinner, right? Oh, no. No, you're not. You used to be. Now you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You can't sin in Christ. Oh. Okay. Break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you should also consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin. Man, sin is so hard. You're dead to it. So when the sin creeps up, go, you're dead to me. When addiction creeps in, you're dead to me. 
Do not let sin control the way that you live. Do not give in to its sinful desires. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourself completely, completely to God, completely. For you were dead, and now you have new life. Everybody say new life. So use your whole body as an instrument. You're a musical instrument to please the Lord. Use your body that way. To do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. See, we kind of, we're afraid of sin because we're afraid we'll get entangled to it again because we still see ourselves as sinners. You're not a sinner. You're an over, you overcome sin. This is who you are. Sin is no longer your master for you're no longer under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Grace teaches us to say no to sin. Well, sin, listen, grace doesn't make room for sin. Listen, grace doesn't leave room for sin. It makes sin leave the room. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become a slave to whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God. Once you were slaves to sin... But now you wholeheartedly obey obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from the slavery of sin, and you have become righteous slaves to righteous living. So you're not a slave to sin. You're a slave to righteousness. What is your identity? Righteousness. Righteousness of God. As righteous, not partial righteousness, complete righteousness. You're completely, listen, you are completely as righteous as God is in Christ Jesus, if you're in Christ. Completely. Complete righteousness. Wow. Well, I'm not perfect. You're perfectly loved, and you're being perfected, but your righteous standing is sealed. It's done, if you will trust Jesus. So this is the way sin sneaks in. Okay? Let me help you. You all right? The way sin sneaks in. First of all, we're enticed by it. We look at it, we're like, oh, right? Come on, we know. I enjoy that. It's enticement. That's not sin, right? That's temptation. I mean, you know, there's a difference between sin and temptation. So we're enticed by it, then we're entertained by it. Uh-oh, next step. Oh, yeah, I'm thinking about it more often, right? I'm thinking about it deeper. Then I'm entitled to it. I deserve that. See, we sin because we think we have a right to sin. But sin always has I in the middle. Think about that. Sin always has I in the middle. Literally. The real literally. Not the modern 2018 literally. Sin always has I in the middle. And then we get entangled in it. We're like, oh, okay, do it. And then, oh, oh my gosh, I've done it like 40 times. If you ever got free from something, they got back into it, and you didn't just do it one time, it just never works that way. We fall right back into it while we get entangled in it, and then we become enslaved to it. And then we're like, I can't stop. I'm an addict. And then we're left, and then we're left with nothing but shame and bondage. See, it's not that when you sin, God's mad at you. What's messed up is the sin punishes you with shame. And it makes you think that God doesn't love you anymore. 
it becomes your identity. That's what happens. We go, man, God, God's mad at me. And so I'll, I won't even repent because I know I'll probably do it again tomorrow. <sighs> Romans 13, 14. Guys, listen, it is, sin is not your identity. But put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. No provision. No room in my life for sin. No room. Because we're called to live over sin, overcome sin. There's a, a story in 2 Kings chapter 5 about a guy named Naaman. Everybody say Naaman. Now Naaman, it says this. Let me just read it. The king of Aram had a great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army. So this guy's like, he's a soldier. He's high-ranked. Because through him, the Lord had given Aram great victories. So the favor of God is on his life. He's doing well. He's doing good. He's strong. He's solid. And it says, but though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. Now, leprosy is a, is a, it's, it's not really a skin condition, but it shows up on your skin, but it affects your nerves and your limbs fall off. And in, in scripture, we don't really see much of it today, but in scriptural times, it was an epidemic. So if you had leprosy, they were afraid you would give everybody else leprosy. So they'd throw you outside of town and you had to live where the lepers live. And it was not only a physical issue, now it'd become a social issue. Are you with me? In fact, if someone approached you that didn't have leprosy, you had to say, I'm unclean. Now, I don't know how this was working with Naaman, but apparently his value was pretty high that they kept him around. But he had leprosy. He was strong. He was solid, but he had this weakness. Now, leprosy in Scripture always represents our sinful nature. It always represents sin. But there was good news for Naaman because Naaman, because he was high status, he had a servant. That, that worked in his household, his wife's servant. And she knew and had experienced the ministry of this guy named Elisha. Now, Elisha was a prophet, and Elisha was a miracle worker, and he was walking with the presence of the Lord. Come on, he was functioning in power. He was full of God's presence. And so she says, listen, Naaman, what you need is you need to go see Elisha. You need to go see this prophet, because if you can get connected with him, I believe you can get healed. And so he gets all this money together and tries to set up this thing with the king. And he goes before, make a long story short. It says this in 2 Kings chapter 5. Elisha sent a message to him, to Naaman. Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored. And you will be cleansed. And you will be cleansed. And it's very interesting how he tells him this. Now, Naaman kind of gets frustrated. He goes, well, you know, you're a prophet. Shouldn't you, like, do the Benny Hinn thing where you, like, you know, wave something or, you know, do the, the, the Yoda thing or something? Shouldn't you just, like, wave your hand? And I mean, couldn't you do that? He could. He could have done that. It probably would have worked. And he said, why the, why the Jordan? The Jordan's this filthy river. And I'm a, don't, did you not forget I am Naaman the mighty? But he tells him these three things. Go wash seven times in the Jordan. Go wash. Get clean. Get in the river. Get in the river. He said, man, how do I get clean, Pastor Josh? 
What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. How do you get clean? You get clean by the washing of the blood of Jesus, the pure, spotless lamb who paid the price for your sin, who paid the price that you could be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Then it says this. He said, go dip seven times in the Jordan. Not just once, but seven times. Why? Because seven is the number of completion. So when he was telling him this, I believe prophetically, it was saying, listen, you have to accept the completed work. The completed work. Beloved, do you believe the completed work of Jesus? Do you believe that what Jesus did was enough? That it was completely finished? That everything that needed, that God ever needed to do, he did it in Jesus. Everything that God ever needed to do for your life, he did it in Jesus. Completed, perfect, good enough. And he saw that you were good enough and it's perfect. It's a perfect, perfect gift, a perfect sacrifice. Go wash seven times in the Jordan. Now, why the Jordan? Why that dirty? Couldn't he go to a clean river? Doesn't he deserve a... Did you see the wars, all the the things that I've been through? Don't you think I deserve a clean river? Why the Jordan? Because in Scripture, if you study the Scriptures, you'll see that the Jordan is always a place of transition. You'll see this when the children of Israel, when Joshua led the children of Israel out of the desert, into the place of promise. Where did he take them across? He took them across the Jordan. We see John the Baptist, whenever he was taking people from death to life through baptism. Where did he do it? He did it in the Jordan. You know, Jesus, when he was baptized, the ultimate example was baptized in the Jordan. Today, I believe that there's a Jordan for you. That it's time to cross over from death to life. That it's time to come to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm asking you today, would you forgive me of my sins? Allow your blood to cover my life. I believe that the price has been paid for me, that I can belong to you completely. Perfect. Jesus said it was finished. And Lord, today I want to cross over from the place of lack from the place of selfishness. And Lord, I want to go through that river and I want to leave my body there. I want to leave myself there.